0: Well, hey everybody! Welcome to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast. And for pursue God. I'm Brian. That's Ross over there. Ross. Today, we're going to continue to unveil Mormonism, and we're going to talk today about what we're titling "Bulletproof Evidence Against the Book of Mormon." And we initially thought this would be one episode, but quickly we realized there was way too much for one.
1: <laughs> yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of issues that the Book of Mormon has challenges and problems with the claims that it makes. And so we thought, you know, we better to give them their due. We better like take two episodes to explore that.
0: Yeah, we again, I think we need to check our hearts right off the bat. Some people might even be listening to this waiting to pick a fight. We're really not trying to pick a fight even though we use kind of a catchy title. We're we're doing what we would invite anyone to do with the Bible, right? We we would invite anyone to bring Bring evidence for and against the mm-hmm. Bible, what we believe to be God's word, and you know we wouldn't tell our kids or people in our churches we wouldn't tell them uh, not to read this book or that book. We would yeah. say, bring it on, because we yeah. believe that the Bible will stand the test of time. Yeah,
1: and you know that that's so true. And you know actually the leaders of the LDS Church have invited us mm-hmm. to to test what they're saying. So Elder Jeffrey Holland, who is one of the apostles. Of Mormonism, he he made this quote, this challenge to us. He laid down the gauntlet, really. He said, "...either the Book of Mormon is what the prophet Joseph said it is, or this church and its founder are false, a deception from the first instant onward. Joseph must be accepted either as a prophet of God or else as a charlatan of the first order." Mm. Now my hunch is that that's insider talk, that he's talking to people who are already... You know, confirmed in their beliefs, uh, you know, to help rally the troops and stuff. But I, really, it's a fair analysis, and that it's really true. Either the the whole Mormon um, system rises or falls on the Book of Mormon. The the prophetic claims of Joseph Smith rise and fall on the Book of Mormon. Because if you accept the Book of Mormon, then it follows the dominoes fall. Then Joseph Smith's a prophet. And then and then, you know, everything that he taught and everything that he established is therefore validated. And so we should test the claims of the Book of Mormon. In fact, the Bible invites us to do that in First Thessalonians five verse twenty one. It says test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. So we're gonna do that.
0: And yeah. we do now today we'll do that with the Book of Mormon. But again, we encourage people to do that with Scripture, because we believe that Scripture stands the test of time, and not to give it away, but we believe the Book of Mormon fails miserably. And again, we're not, we're not trying to be mean-spirited here. Anyone who really wants the truth, I hope you would keep listening. If you're not interested in hearing some critiques of the Book mm-hmm. of Mormon, then probably just turn it off, because you'll get frustrated, because in, in full transparency here, we're going to be critical in a few different areas... Mm-hmm. But not with a critical spirit.
1: Well, we really want to approach this with kindness and with love for LDS people, and um, we're not trying to win points or score argument point, you know, kind of kind of come up, get over on anybody, mm-hmm. but we think it's fair to do this evaluation, and it's really it should be helpful to people to listen.
0: All right, so Ross, real quick, for people who are not familiar with the Book of Mormon, give us a 60-second overview. What do we mean when we say the Book of Mormon Uh, for someone who doesn't even know what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, just in a nutshell, without going into all the detail about it, we can just simply say that the Book of Mormon claims to be an ancient scripture that tells the story of God's people in the American continent. So the Latter-day Saints believe that it's a companion volume to the Bible. The Bible tells the story of God's people in the old world. The Book of Mormon, in their mind, tells the story of God's people in the new world.
0: And so then the Book of Mormon, according to Joseph Smith... Um, he translated the Book of Mormon, but Mormon was actually, uh, well, uh, a person at one point in the Americas, right? right? And right. Later, an a- later an angel. Yeah. Is that right?
1: Uh, Moroni was the angel, Moroni but they're two the are related. Yeah. So more, the the idea, the story of the Book of Mormon is that there were all these records that were kept throughout the history of these people of God. They They migrated from Jerusalem, just before the fall of Jerusalem, which the Bible talks about, so that's 600 BC-ish, they migrated from the Old World to the New World and set up here and established two great civilizations in time as they multiplied, um, and they kept records along the way. And so Mormon took all these, the guy named Mormon took all of these records and he abridged them into like a a summary type, a digest kind of type from all these, and and that's... He um, inscribed them on plates made of gold and he buried that in a hill uh, where Joseph Smith um, recovered it and then went on to translate those ancient records into what's now the Book of Mormon. That's the story, anyway. That's the story. I want to make sure I
0: want to make sure to say this. That's the story of the Mm -hmm. Book of Mormon. We don't believe it's true. And this is this in this episode and the next episode, we're going to tell you why we don't believe it's true. So, we're going to, I think the best place to start is Mm archaeology because shouldn't archaeology have something to say about all this?
1: Right. And this, the science of archaeology looks at um, the artifacts that are left from past uh, human occupation, from past civilizations. And so, um, we can look at archaeology to say what happened in the past. And so, um, from the point of view of archaeology, there certainly was... There's certainly archaeological evidence for um, ancient civilizations in the American continent, but it just doesn't line up with the story of the Book of Mormon.
0: Yeah, so it it, it more it more than doesn't line up. It actually kind of disproves, in At, many cases. In some
1: points. Right. In some... When we talk about archaeology... To su- uh, some extent it's an argument from silence. That we can say, for example, two diff- two or three different kinds of evidence. One is inscriptional evidence that things that people carved on stones. A lot of times in, in, at least in the ancient world and uh in the old world, rulers would carve on, their victories on stones and they would, you know, erect monuments to themselves. There's a second kind of evidence that is material evidence. And what did what did people leave behind? And so that would be buildings and foundations. So uh, basically we're looking for ruins of buildings and ruins of cities and so forth, mm-hmm. and part of that might have, might be that there were artifacts left behind in, say, uh, ancient kings maybe were buried with, uh, with artifacts, and we could learn what, what they were buried with to learn something about the culture. Uh, what, what they threw away becomes part of it, the trash heap becomes part of the evidence of their culture. And then, and then related to that, there was, there's artwork that was uh, ancient civilizations c- uh, created artwork, and the artwork tells us what they, what they depict and how they depict it tells us something about their civilization. So those are the kind of evidences that archaeology is looking at.
0: Okay, so let's go back to that first one, the inscriptional evidence. So let me ask you a question, Roth. Of all the names in the Book of Mormon of all the names in the Book of Mormon, I don't even know all the names, but or some of the names, so names like Moroni or, mm-hmm. or Lehi yeah. or Nephi, so those names that you'd find in the Book of Mormon, how many of those have been found on inscriptions in the Americas?
1: Yeah, let me think about that for a minute. Uh, none. So, <laughs> so yeah. zero. Zero, yeah.
0: Uh, now, again, for me, help me, because I know more, you grew up with a Mormon background. How, mm-hmm. how, like How would a Mormon... How would someone from the Mormon faith explain that away? Like, how would a, I mean, I'm genuinely asking, how would somebody explain that away?
1: Well, again, partly it's an argument from silence. And so we can say nothing has ever been found, but we don't know with certainty that nothing ever will be found, mm. right? So the Mormon person holds out this hope that, yeah, it's just all it takes is going to be a few more archaeological digs or a few more, and then they'll finally find, you know, an inscription. You know, from King Mosiah or something like that. So, what what the LDS world, because there's such a lack of positive confirming evidence, what what the LDS apologists will do is to create at least the aura of plausibility based on some vague similarities between the Book of Mormon story and the ancient, you know, say the Mesoamerican. Um, remains from the Toltecs, or the Mayans, or the Aztecs, and so forth. Now, now, by the way, not every Mormon person believes that the Book of Mormon took place in Central America. Hmm. So that's been the common um, dominant view for a long time, but now new views are coming up that maybe it took place more in the North American continent, and so forth. But so they'll hold out a hope that, that something will be emerged, and then there's enough... Okay, there's enough generic sense that, oh, there were these great civilizations that they'll just connect the dots, because they're already committed to the idea that, that this is a real thing.
0: Okay, so, but there's no inscriptional evidence, there's no name from the Book of Mormon that shows up in inscriptions in the Americas. Uh, before we move on from inscriptions, I guess I need to go back to ask about the inscriptions on those gold plates... So what about those? Yeah, I guess you could say. Wait, those names are inscribed there, right? So just show me those plates, and you got
1: me. Right? Yeah, exactly. The LDS claim is that the gold plates, when Joseph Smith was done translating them, God took them back up into heaven. Mm. So the gold plates don't exist anywhere in our concrete universe, in our in our world. And so, okay, maybe if God took them back up into heaven. Then there's no way to falsify that their claim. There's no way to test it because we don't we don't have access mm-hmm. to the putative gold plates. The skeptic
0: in me wants to say so many things right now, mm-hmm. but I, I guess the skeptic in me would say, well then that, that must be the case for all the other inscriptions with names on it as well. Right. Maybe they were all I, just know, taken up to heaven.
1: I don't know. I, I, I would say how convenient that is for, yeah. for them, you know. Yeah. To make the story um, put put the story beyond any kind of test or proof.
0: Okay, what about let's talk about for a minute about animals in the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. right? So, right, we can't we can't we dig up archaeologically, can't we figure out what animals were around and sort of match up the the animals that they say were here in the Book of Mormon?
1: Yeah, there's two ways. I think there might be more because I'm, I'm not an archaeologist, but there's two ways to look at that or think about that. One is what kind of bones and what you know uh, actual, actual remains of dead animals might exist, um, and the other one is to look at the artwork um, of, the, of that ancient civilization. So f- with respect to animals, so the Book of Mormon mentions a lot of different kinds of animals— cattle, sheep, goats, horses, pigs— and so forth. None of those have ever been found in terms of remains. And if you look at the artwork, especially of the um, the Middle American cultures, Mayans, and so forth, we we see in their murals we can clearly identify animals that were native to that area, like deer, jaguar, the peccaries, kind of a kind of a, a pig kind of thing, tapirs. There's other species that are native that are in that are Clearly seen in their artwork and their murals, but for example, a horse has never been found depicted. In it's surprisingly, because a horse is pretty like large and noteworthy, and yet, you know, none of them have ever been depicted in, in any of the thousands of samples of art from the period. And obviously the reason seems to be that
0: horses were brought to the Americas by the Europeans. Right. Correct? right and the europeans came let's do a little bit of let's do a little bit of history here the europeans came to the americas roughly in what year
1: 1520 say
0: okay and the book of mormon to go back with your opener ross the book of mormon in the book of mormon they say that these were jewish people mm-hmm. jewish families or a jewish family that came over from the middle east In around six hundred BC, six hundred
1: BC, and the Book of Mormon time frame ends about four hundred or four twenty five AD.
0: AD, okay. So they were they were. It was about a thousand thousand years years of history, and horses are everywhere.
1: Yeah, in the Book of Mormon,
0: in the Book of Mormon, and yet horses didn't come to the Americas until the. 1500s. Yeah, yeah, and we're going
1: to talk about that more in, the, in our next podcast. Yeah, uh, We'll get into some more detail about that kind of discrepancy that occurs in the Book of Mormon.
0: Okay, so can we at least go to talk about language for a second now that we're talking? Are we going to cover that next time? Or
1: Language? Uh, no, not really. Okay, so yeah. then let me throw this. We can let talk me, about that here. Let
0: me throw this one at you. In my mind, this kind of goes back to inscriptions. In my mind, <laughs> if this is true that we've got you know, Jewish people coming over... Then shouldn't we find Jewish inscriptions all over the place in the Americas?
1: Yeah, or Jewish related. Let's say that um, the language of the Native Americans you'd expect it to be at least influenced by Semitic uh, type of languages and different kinds of language features that show up in different languages. And, and there really isn't any evidence of that. Mm. Okay. Let, me, let me throw in one other thing about archaeology, and that is, um, this is, this is a big one for me. It's like the Book of Mormon talks about people using uh, gold, silver, iron, brass, copper, but especially alloys like brass or the use of iron to create tools or weapons requires a complicated process of mining, smelting, casting, and that process leaves traces you know, you can you can identify a smeltery because you know you've got slag and you've got byproducts of, and so. Um, but but scholars generally agree that this this idea of metallurgy or working with metals like that was not introduced into the Americas until several centuries after the Book of Mormon story ends, and so there's another point of um, archaeological like, an area where the Book of Mormon doesn't fit the archaeological record.
0: Okay, so we have all these problems, Ross, with the Book of Mormon, but again, I'm going to try to be a fair skeptic here. Well, couldn't you say all these same things about the Bible?
1: Yeah, you, you know, if you did, you'd be in, um, inaccurate. This is one of the great things that differentiates the Bible from the Book of Mormon, because the Bible uh, has repeatedly been demonstrated as reliable by archaeology over and over and over again, historically and geographically. Now, archaeology doesn't have the ability to tell us whether the Bible is true spiritually, but wherever it can be tested for truth, it, 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 um, it, it meets the mark. So, for example, the use of metals, we talked about metals... That are described, the ones described in the Bible, can be verified. You can find archaeological evidence for the use and production of those metals. Um, you can go to Jericho. You can go to Jerusalem. There are places that are described in the Bible that that have had ongoing existence um, for centuries, and they can be visited. You can't find where, you know, you can't go to the Book of Mormon city of Zarahemla. Nobody knows where, what it is or where it is. So a few months ago, I was able to visit the British Museum in London, and where they have um, just incredible... One of the things I saw that was like so encouraging along this line, they have these massive stone panels from ancient Nineveh. Um, they were erected by the, um, the Assyrian emperor Sennacherib. Now that name might be familiar to our listeners if you're familiar with the Bible, because he's mentioned in the Bible. And he um, he names cities that he conquered, and among those are cities that are named in the Bible, Lachish and others. So we said, oh, well, I know where to find that on the map, mm. it's south of Jerusalem, whatever. And there's other inscriptions and, and um, monuments that mention specific names of kings of Judah. And so... Those are attested by archaeology, completely independent of the Bible, that those people and those places really existed. So when it comes to archaeology, then,
0: really, the Bible the Bible stands the test of time, mm-hmm. and, that, and the test of time for the Bible is much longer than the test of time yeah. for the Book of Mormon, yeah. even. And yet the Book of Mormon doesn't stand the test of time, which from my vantage point, my answer to that, and this is just one, I think about this, Ross, like we're stacking bricks... We're just, we're going to, I did this with a friend, an LDS friend of mine years ago. I said, let's just, let's just stack some bricks here. I said, you go ahead and stack bricks that that speak against biblical Christianity, and I'll stack some bricks that would make, kind of like throwing flags at at Mormonism, right? Right. And I had, through this hour-long conversation, I had this huge stack over here on mine, and he had nothing. And it was really interesting, because, and it was this kind of stuff that we were talking about, and he wasn't debating it, he wasn't. I mean, it's really you kind of appeal to faith, I guess, a little bit is what he did at least. Yeah, for sure. He wasn't trying to say, no, you're right. He wasn't trying to say, no, you're wrong, and here's why. He just said, okay, yeah, no, that's a good question. We had all this stuff. And to me, after a certain point, it takes more faith. It takes a a heck of a lot more faith to really believe in that the Book of Mormon is what Joseph Smith purported that it was. Mm -hmm. To me, it's far more likely. If we're just doing probability, it's far more likely that he was inventing these stories and he didn't have all this information. Right. He didn't have all this archaeological information that we now have, or he probably would have been a little bit smarter about how he invented it. He wouldn't have talked about horses. Right. He wouldn't have maybe he would have tried to use some names that he that he knew were in some inscriptions, right? Right. Yeah. But yeah. he didn't
1: Right. That's a great point. Joseph Smith was completely ignorant of because at the time that he wrote, there really was no science of new world archaeology, yeah, right. none of it had really been done. These digs had and digs and sites had never been developed. So he's operating out of it looks like he's operating out of he's just taking his own his own framework, European animals and european style processes of of, of industry and so forth, and he's just superimposing them right. on an American past right. Okay, but but here's the crazy thing is archaeology isn't, in my mind, it's not even
0: the biggest problem with the Book of Mormon, because I think there's an even bigger problem that modern science really exposes, and that's the problem of of DNA evidence. Talk us through that, Ross.
1: Yeah, so the original story of the Book of Mormon, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's about this migration of Jewish people from Jerusalem over to the New World. And the story the, the Book of Mormon um, talks about how this one family ended up becoming two larger civilizations. They divided in opposition to each other. There was the good guys and the bad guys. Good guys called the Nephites, bad guys called the Lamanites. That's an oversimplification but uh, and the Book of Mormon talks about how the land was empty when they got there, and it talks about how you know these civilizations really grew and kind of spread throughout the land. Now that would that would assume that then these Jewish people would have the markers in their DNA of a Semitic background. Well, in the last probably thirty years, the science of genetics they've been able to look at. Kind of more closely at different kinds of, of g- genetic material, and they've discovered that the Nor- the Native American populations really don't have a Semitic origin; that um, that they really have an Asian origin, and so uh, DNA sampling, pretty broad DNA sampling through the whole Native American population continues to support that conclusion over and over and over again. They just haven't found uh, Semitic markers that would have been common to a, um, a Middle Eastern ancestry.
0: Which really makes sense. If you look at a map, it would make sense that the Native Americans, if we if we start with the biblical hypothesis that life started in the Middle East, right? Mm-hmm. It makes sense that following the land, land bridges that... Native that Amer the Americas would be populated coming from coming from Asia yeah
1: Siberia and yeah Asia coming
0: across Russia Mm -hmm. and and then through through here you're not they're not going to probably be that long ago they're not going to be making boats you know right yeah yeah five thousand years ago and coming across to -hmm. the Americas so it makes it it makes sense that the Native Americans have Asian descent. So this is a real problem then for the Book of Mormon, because the Book of Mormon makes a big deal. But my understanding, Ross, is really when Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon, it was the religious answer to how did the Native Americans get here? There were other answers to that, but there was no religious answer. And so I think... Uh, young entrepreneur Joseph Smith had an idea. How about we give a religious answer to this? I bet you this right. is going to sell a lot of books.
1: Right, and he wasn't dealing. That was a pretty common... We'll talk about this next week, but that was a pretty common assumption in America at the time that somehow the, the Native Americans uh, reflected a different civilization from, from like the lost 10 tribes of Israel or so forth... It was it was definitely a big question about what is the origin of the American Indians, and so that was those are many attempts to try to answer that question. Joseph Smith had his attempt to answer the question, but again, he didn't have the benefit of of, of scientific understanding of genetics. Okay, so but
0: now we do. So to in my mind, and this has been in the last what twenty years. So now it does, it makes sense to me, Ross, that this would be sort of the nail in the coffin for the Mormon Church. So how did the Mormon Church handle this?
1: Well, they've, they've pivoted. What they've done is they, they've shifted a little bit from saying that... So, for example, in the Book of Mormon, in 1981, the Book of Mormon preface identified these Lamanites. It says they were the principal ancestors of the American Indians. So the Lamanites were the people who came... <laughs> Laman was one of the people from... Uh, from Israel, yes. who came over on the boat, yeah, and the okay. Lamanites are are his progeny. Gotcha. But in in 2006, they changed the preface to talk about how Lamanites are among the ancestors of the American Indians. Okay, hold on a second.
0: Wait, a sec- I thought the Book of Mormon was the most perfect book, and didn't ha- it was a direct translation. I thought there were no mistakes. Are you saying that there are
1: different versions of the Book of Mormon? No, this is just the preface. This wasn't part of the gold plates. Oh, okay. This is just what the church has published as, a, as an introduction to what follows. So, who wrote the original preface? Um, I don't know. That's Would a great it have been question. Joseph Smith? Or? Might have been, but probably not. Probably written later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, Joseph Smith certainly believed that the Native Americans were Semitic. There was no question about that. That he believed that. Yeah. So they're pivoting to take this science into account now. Um, one one way that they're answering that there's a there's a, um, a article in the LDS Church's Gospel Topics essays that deals with this. They're trying to help their people understand, you know, kind of how to handle these objections. And basically, the gist of that article is to say, well, genetic science is really unproven, and we don't really know that much. And so, you know, it's, a kind, of a, it's kind of a very filtered analysis. Yes, genetic science is not absolutely perfect, and there's things that could, that could creep in. They've created this sort of sense of, well, you know, it's, it's not everything they say it is, which is kind of a dodge, I think. Mm-hmm from that. But the thing is, Joseph Smith believed it, he acted like it, and so the Church has acknowledged it. But one of the theories that they have now is that there were lots of people living in the American continent who were from Asiatic origins, and the Nephites and Lamanites were a small subset, mm. and they and they established their civilizations there within these other peoples. But the problem is, is that the Book of Mormon never makes reference to those other people. Mm. So you would expect these righteous Nephites to go do missionary work among the mm. among these other tribes that surrounded them, or you'd expect them to have commercial dealings with them or or that they'd enter into the different wars and so forth, that there's just never any mention of them. So it, it just seems it doesn't really fit the Book of Mormon narrative if you look at it at face value. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. When you read the Old
0: Testament, the, the Jewish nation was a small nation, but there was all this interaction with the surrounding nations and surrounding people, and yet mm. the Book of Mormon doesn't make mention of these other people of Asian descent.
1: Yeah, which, would, which you'd have to assume for them from the genetics to vastly outnumber mm. the Nephites and the Lamanites. There's no, there's no picture of that in the Book of Mormon.
0: Yeah. So again, Ross, to me, this is just a major brick, and I know, mm-hmm. I know this was sort of the, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of Mormons my age and mm-hmm. and younger that that said, I just don't buy it. I, it's too hard. It's too big of a leap, and I just can't buy it because of this DNA evidence. Mm-hmm. I know, yeah. I know it's created yeah. a lot of, a lot of frustration and confusion, and. And in my mind, rightly so, right? If yeah, if DNA evidence came out and disproved the Bible, that would be a ama- mate. Like, I think I'd look for a new job, Ross. Yeah, I know. <laughs> really. I, like, know. I, I don't think I would just hang on to it because of cultural concerns or whatever. Right. I think I would
1: intellectually. I think that would be too much for me, yeah. as it has for many people. Now, yeah. now, um, let me interject this because the LDS people typically they don't believe the Book of Mormon because. Uh, of its because it matches a list of objective criteria. They don't believe it because it has archaeological evidence or because of, they believe it because they're taught to follow a subjective kind of experiential test. Hmm. So they said, Pray about the Book of Mormon and ask God to reveal the truth of it to you, which he'll do through a personal feeling. And so that personal feeling, that that experiential witness trumps everything else. And so if I've had the Holy Spirit bear witness to my spirit through this experience that this is true, then you know the mindset is that, you know, well, there, there'll be all of this other stuff we'll, not, we'll understand how it all fits together at some day. You know, we'll understand someday, maybe in heaven or whatever, we'll understand, or maybe God will reveal it someday, but I know it's true because the Holy Spirit has told me that it's true." And so that makes many Latter-day Saints, when it comes to the Book of Mormon, kind of impervious Mm. to the kind of evaluation that we're talking about today. And yet the Bible says, I'm going
0: to read this again, Ross, this is kind of our theme verse for today, 1 Thessalonians 5:21 The Bible tells us to test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. So I guess how would you explain that process for an evangelical Christian because we believe in the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and we do believe. I was just talking with a Mormon a former Mormon friend just last night about this very thing that we believe that the spirit the Holy Spirit does have a role to play. Mm-hmm. In in opening our eyes to the truth of God's word, so what's the difference?
1: Well, the, dif- the difference is ultimately we're going to test things according to the Bible, um, because this is we have objective evidence and God. We have internal evidence from the Bible. We have the objective evidence that like we said earlier of archaeology and all the rest. Um, we have the internal consistency, and you know, there's articles on pursue God that explore all of the reasons why the Bible's reliable. And so we have reason to say, that's going to be our number one. And whatever experiences we have, again, they can be valid, and God can use those to confirm the truth, but they have to be subservient to this, to this larger picture. So we're going to ask, oh, how does that compare to what God has already said in the Bible? Mm. How does that compare with what we already know to be true? From scripture. Yeah,
0: so Mormons would say that truth is subservient to my feelings, Mm -hmm. but but God Himself would say, No, He He owns the truth. Yeah. And so your feelings are subservient to the truth. You don't it doesn't there doesn't have to be a battle between those two. And if and if I do have a feeling that goes against what God has plainly revealed in His
1: Word, then I need to trust God's word above my feelings. And I think I think we can have a great conversation in some future podcast. About that whole experiential yeah. approach and what it what it means. Should we pray to know if the Book of Mormon is true, mm. and and whether or not that's a valid approach? That would we can bracket that for later.
0: And by the way, in the show notes, we'll put a link <coughs> to that Gospel Topics essay from the LDS Church mm-hmm. to see how they tried to answer this, mm-hmm. and I encourage people to read it. Yeah, I mean, really read it. Like, there's the, nothing
1: to hide from. Nothing you know, to hide. So, so read yeah.
0: it and see how. The Mormon apologists try to get around that, but I also will also put a link to uh, what you mentioned, Ross. It's actually topic two in the Pursuit online at PursueGod.org, where we talk about the archaeological evidence for the Bible mm-hmm. and the textual evidence for the Bible and the personal evidence for the Bible. It's a really powerful topic, uh, and so I encourage you, especially if you're questioning the Bible's reliability, go check that one out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Ross, for today, let's just cover one more, and then we're going to, in part two of this little mini two-part thing we're doing here, we'll talk some more about some anachronisms, but let's talk about plagiarism. I remember, Ross, when I was in high school, <laughs> man, if you plagiarized a work, you were in big, done. Yep. big trouble, and yet Joseph Smith must not have had my same teachers, You're right? my same English teachers.
1: Well... You know, you might have plagiarized something to give to make your, uh, your term paper sound authoritative, mm. right? And I think that's what's happening with the Book of Mormon, that the plagiarism of... Uh, the Book of Mormon contains extensive material in common with the Bible. And so just to be objective, you could say, well, there's two, two ways that could, that could happen. Well, you know, they, either they have a common source... They're both drawing from some common source, so who would know? There's no way to identify that there would be, or one is borrowing from the other. Well, the Bible doesn't borrow from the Book of Mormon because it predates the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. most of it. And then, or but does the Bible does the Book of Mormon borrow from the Bible? And so, uh, there's a great deal, of, I think, of plagiarism in the Book of Mormon. And I think the reason why is because it gave. It it made the Book of Mormon sound like Scripture. It, made it gave it a credibility because it sounded like a lot of the th- common phrases and words that people would have heard from the Bible. Well, and that's probably also why th-
0: it was written in King James English. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, Ki- the King James Version was in the 1600s, mm-hmm. and the Book of Mormon was translated by Joseph Smith in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Where King James English wasn't really a thing anymore, but right. yet that it goes from the directly from the gold ancient golden plates into King james English right again to me that's that's Joseph Smith trying to
1: make it sound authoritative right to right. sound common uh, to sound familiar yeah in order to give it the the aura of that the that the King James Bible had yeah. in that culture
0: all right now with when it comes to plagiarism, there are three types of sort of shared material mm-hmm. from the Bible that Joseph
1: Smith used. The first one is just a direct quotation or simple repetition. Right. There's there's phrases that occur in the Bible in the Book of Mormon all the time that are just uh, also in the Bible, uh, Joseph Smith. The Book of Mormon often says, it came to pass. It came to pass. It says it way more than the Bible says. So it seems like Joseph Smith latched on to certain phrases and he incorporated in there. Like So Jesus says, again, this is in the King James verily, verily, I say unto you." Yeah. Um, that shows up in the Book of Mormon as well, mm-hmm. okay? So, mm, makes you wonder why, okay? Yeah. Then the second type is when there's actual biblical texts that are used, but there's, they're changed, there's an interpretive change in them, and so there's an example where in 2 Nephi it's talking about the biblic, biblical account of Eve's temptation, and it draws on Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5, where, where Eve is tempted in the Garden of Eden. But it adds a bunch of things to it. It adds some um, nuances or some changes to what that, what that passage means. But it's definitely directly drawn from, from Genesis chapter 3.
0: And then there's a third type, and that would be what we would call structural parallels to the Bible.
1: Yeah, it's not exactly like a word for word quotation. But there's literary forms, there's um, common motifs, there's certain character types that occur in the Book of Mormon that seem to really be parallel to similar stories in the Bible. The biggest one, probably the most obvious one, is there's a character named Alma, and he undergoes a conversion to faith that's, that's very similar to, the, uh, to Paul's conversion story in Acts chapter 9. And so like there there's so many parallels there, it, it doesn't feel like it could just be coincidence. So really the point is that Ross, in, in many cases, the Nephite writers,
0: right, from the Book of Mormon, mimic wording from the New
1: Testament and it, it was a doc to which they would have had no access at all. Right. They would have so the New Testament, they're 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 in another part of the world. You know, um, how they wouldn't have any access to the New Testament, but they're using New Testament phraseology Mm -hmm. and New Testament words. So, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount... So here's part of the Book of Mormon story, is they believe that Jesus showed up in the American continent, Mm -hmm. and apparently during the 40 days after his resurrection, he's with his disciples and so forth, uh, until he ascends into heaven, but we don't know, like if the Bible doesn't say he was there 24-7, or it doesn't give us an itinerary of those 40 days. So the, the Book of Mormon portrays Jesus as showing up in the New World and interacting for a period of time with, with the Nephites and that, that population. And so he gives a, a public address in 3rd Nephi 12 through 14 that looks very very much like the Sermon on the Mount we find in Matthew 5 through 7. There's just a lot of parallels between the two. Okay, so all all of this shared content
0: raises this, you know, when we think about it, Ross, it raises an obvious question. You mentioned it already. Does the common material come from independent sources? Right. That if I'm trying to be a Mormon apologist, that's what I would say. I would say, well, look, it must be.
1: It must just be, this is proof that the Book of Mormon is scriptural. Right, because God, yeah. they, would, they would ascribe these parallels to God and to divine inspiration. Right, so they would say, yeah, the, the, it's, that's where it comes from, right? Whereas we would say, no, <laughs> we think Joseph Smith just copied from the Bible. Right, he right. He plagiarized. Um, Latter-day Saint apologists have answers for all these questions. The question, in my mind, is whether their answers are credible or not. For a lot of Latter-day Saints, they just need to know that an expert says it's okay. They're not going to dig in and really weigh it. As long as somebody that they consider an expert has an answer, they go, okay, it's all good. You know, they know more than me. They said that, that archaeology is not a problem, or, or or that there is a couple of obscure uh, points of archaeology that, if taken, if stretched pretty far, can go like, oh yeah, that proves the Book of Mormon is really real. If you're loyal as a Latter-day Saint, that's all you need to, to confirm your testimony, your, your subjective testimony. Um, they're already convinced, and so they don't need a lot of proof, mm. just enough you know, to, to shore up their, their faith. Mm. But most people who don't have that grid already in place, or that interpretive framework already in place, really are not convinced that the Book of Mormon passes the test.
0: Let's just, real quick, let's look at two test cases, Ross, and just kind of dive a little bit deeper on this. Let's look first at the Sermon on the Mount, Mm -hmm. right? Which is, we can find that in the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, but we also see some kind of parallel in the Book of
1: Mormon. Right, right. And so I want to talk about this some more next time. We're going to look at a particular focus of it. But, you know, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount somewhere in the middle of his earthly ministry so you know if this if the book of mormon story really happened during post resurrection then you know a couple years before jesus had come and and uh, had and given this address so on on one hand it's plausible that jesus could have given the same sermon you know to a different group of people now the the challenge is when you look at what he actually said in nephi in in Third Nephi 12-14, through he uses a lot of information, or says a lot of things that would have been meaningful in the Jewish context, but not really meaningful in the New World context. So he talks about, like he uses phraseology in the Sermon on the Mount, where Gentiles are referred to as dogs. Well, why would that be an issue in the New World, the Nephite context? Because who were the Gentiles yeah. for them? You That's know, not they a were, theme for it's them. not a theme for yeah. them, or or the idea of in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if somebody asks you to go one mile, go the second mile. Well, the specific context of that in the old world was the Roman occupation. Mm. The Romans had the right to um, to to make a person carry their stuff for one mile. So Jesus saying, go beyond that, carry their stuff for two miles. Well, that that context. Did not exist in the New World. The Roman, uh, there was no Roman occupation. It was not a Roman law that you had to carry somebody's, some soldiers' stuff for a mile. So those things creep into the New World context, and you go, why would those exist there? Yeah. you know. So that helps us see. Oh, well, maybe he's just, maybe he's just borrowing, mm. you know, boom, 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 from the Bible. Well, yeah, because even for us, if we recycle a
0: sermon, Ross, we're still going to contextualize it to our audience, right? and we're not as good at this as Jesus was. (laughs) Exactly. So Jesus certainly would have contextualized this for the New World audience.
1: Right, and so it would have sounded different in many respects. There would be flags or markers that, that reflected that context.
0: Oh, that's a really good case. The second test case, Ross, and we don't have time to dive into this, but it's... It's really the Book of Isaiah mm-hmm. from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. There's so much from the Book of Isaiah that is just plagiarized, word for word, in the Book of Mormon.
1: Yeah, there's 19 complete chapters from the Book of Isaiah that are just reproduced in the, in the Book of Mormon. Now, the story is that, that Lehi, the, the, the Jewish migrants from Jerusalem, carried with them a copy of the Book of Isaiah on a set of brass plates. And so that's why they could quote from it. It wasn't, so Joseph Smith is not pretending that these things were said by somebody else, but he's basically just cut and pasting in stuff from the book of Isaiah that would have, according to the story, been found on those brass plates. But there's some challenges with that because biblical scholarship has advanced since the time the King James Version was written and we recognize in retrospect that the king james version had some some phrases and some ideas in the book in the in the book of isaiah that the scholars of that time in 1611 did not fully understand the hebrew language or, mm-hmm. and so as as those language studies have progressed now we realize that oh we have a better sense of how to translate those phrases well joseph smith in the book of mormon it brought in the misconceptions from the King James version. You'd think if he was translating from scratch, or especially if it was from a um, document from farther that far um, in the past, you'd think that those misconceptions or those faulty translational assumptions would be corrected, and he would he wouldn't have incorporated them into. Um, this document, so that's yeah. a clue.
0: Yeah. So the question is, how would translation problems from the King James version from the 1600s find their way into the Book of Mormon, which was translated from plates in the purportedly in the in 400? Yeah. It shouldn't have yeah. happened, right? So, but it did. So that suggests a direct relationship between the King James version and the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. yep. which again is a problem. It, it, first of all, it's just a problem that there's so much plagiarism. That was one of the shocking yeah. things for me. I just thought to myself, like, mm. how did Joseph Smith get away with this? Plagiarism from from back then? Now maybe I guess I, I guess maybe nobody's nobody's like looking at that. It's not copywritten. I don't know. I don't know when copyright laws. Yeah, start. I don't
1: know. It's not copywritten the King James Version by then, but you know, because it had the aura of scripture, then people just assumed oh, it must be scripture too. And of course, you know, and I don't think anybody looked at it that closely. But, and as they began to look at it closely, you know, by then people who had embraced Mormonism had already, you know, made up their mind. Well, Ross, we're out of time, but
0: there's more bulletproof evidence against the Book of Mormon, and we'll cover some of that next time. Why don't you give us just a quick preview? We're going to be talking about something called an anachronism.
1: Right, we're going to look at several forms of anachronism. Anachronism means that you have when you're when you're reading a story or whatever, you have events or um, or, or artifacts, uh, objects that don't fit the time and place. So, in an anachronism, let's say you're reading Moby Dick, and, and it's about whaling in the 1840s, and um, and somebody pulls out a cell phone. That would be an anachronism. A cell phone did not belong in that time and place. And so that's the kind of thing we're going to look at, anachronisms in the Book of Mormon.
0: So join us next time.